Hello, and welcome to Knoll Country for Old Men. We're a podcast about board games, tabletop roleplay games, and tabletop war games. And today, we're talking about Liches. That classic Dungeons & Dragons monster that uh, is all about the undead magic and raising things from the bowels of the earth. And um, it's an evil wizard that turned themselves into a zombie. We'll get into more detail. I'm your host, Troy. My pronouns are he, him, and I am joined, as always, by my undead co-host. I feel pretty undead. My name is Ed. Uh, my pronouns are they and them. Maybe in this case, were and was. Uh, definitely kind of feel like I woke up in a dungeon. Well, we'll get into why liches love dungeons, and why bitches love liches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But before we do, we have a segment on this podcast called The Weekend Hobby, where we talk about what we've done the last weekend hobby. Yay. I'll go first. Um, after we recorded our last episode of the podcast about Blood Bowl, I went out during the Super Bowl and bought myself a Blood Bowl team. So now I have a Skaven team that I have assembled and will prime as soon as the weather is both warm enough and dry enough for it to prime properly. Boo. I might be waiting a month or so. Also a possibility. Yeah. Uh, that's that's what I get for trying to do something in the Oregon winter. I also had a couple of D&D games. Uh, the first one, my Thursday group delved deeper into the dungeon they've been dealing with. Um, hey. Um, and they fought a the warden of the prison, uh, who was a drider with some cultists, and they managed to take care of it pretty quickly, although the wizard that cast Ivard's black tentacles kind of tangled them up and just punched them for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the drider casting web when they all grouped up in a hallway and entangling the entire party was also pretty good. Oops. Um... Yeah, but they managed to get through it without loss of more than just some resources. They weren't even severely wounded by the fight. They were just mildly wounded. It's just a flesh wound. Yes, and the fact that they most of them were immune to poison because they had had a hero's feast before going into the dungeon was mm, uh, somewhat helpful easy. for them. I had given them that as a thing for completing a different quest. Uh, but then they like found a secret passageway and decided to take a long rest hidden in the secret passage with uh, a tiny hut, Liaman's tiny hut cast to shield them from anyone finding out about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was, of course, after the overseer of the dungeon basically made an announcement over an intercom system saying that he knew they were there and for all the dungeon inhabitants and other guards to report in if they found them, and, you know, bring, let him have the joy of killing them. Everybody, get in here. Yeah, basically. Uh, so they're going to have to fight him next, and he's going to be a bigger fight. A more challenging fight, because he's he's tougher. He's a tougher demon. Uh, my Wednesday group uh, only had two players. They continued on through the Tomb of Horrors, uh, finding the false... Uh, monster, the false lich, and then getting into, going through a few more rooms, um, fighting a few random monsters, uh, 
They made it to the pillared chamber, which is a big section towards the end of the dungeon um, that has a lot of weird shit going on. Um, I think we're going to do a whole episode on Tomb of Horrors at some point because it's worth talking about the dungeon in detail and it's also worth talking about the style of the dungeon and how dungeon crawls have changed over the years. It's probably a good idea. Um, and comparing it, comparing and contrasting it with something more modern like uh, Lost Minds of Fendelver. I haven't played that one. That's generally regarded as being one of the strongest 5th edition uh, adventures. It's the 5th edition starter adventure. Mm. Um, and so comparing the dungeons from that to the dungeons from Tomb of Horrors and just kind of talking about that would be something we'll do in a future episode. Uh, we also had a Spelljammer game, Woo! which I think, Ed, you can go into detail on that one. So what's your weekend hobby been like? It's been kind of off and on trying to balance out doing hobby stuff with doing homework now that I seem to be consistently passing my, uh, uh, what you call them, practice exams with like a solid 80-ish percent. So trying to do some more hobby stuff. Did some spell jammer where we left the planet that has been consumed by crystalline uh, entities, I guess. We found an octopus's garden, which was not under the sea. It was, in fact, in space. Uh, glad I didn't immediately smack the tentacle with a spear when it first came out. It was just pissed that we were trying to get all the kelp and all the other uh, roughage goodies since our ship uh, dude didn't count on us having a horse in addition to other crew members. So our our lord and savior Skyrim needs to get fed. Yep, it's uh, important to the horse. And then we landed on another planet, met some talking penguins uh, who were being savaged by some kind of carnival. So I can only imagine the most joyous of shenanigans next week when it comes to that Spelljammer campaign. Yep. Yep. And then, I think it's more of a carn evil. Oh, classic shooter game. Yep. At least I, I think it is. I, and then I always preferred area 51. Uh, they're, they're both good for different reasons. Someday I'll own an area 51 cabinet. I might have to take out another mortgage on the house. Perhaps. And then I've done some kind of sporadic painting, but I've just not necessarily been able to focus enough to really get anything done. So just kind of whatever was in front of me and started trying to put together some of my pirated Blood Bowl minis. And it's obviously because they're pirate minis, they're not of the greatest quality. I mean, I've seen far worse, but I've also accidentally bought uh, clone minis that are of better quality. But to be fair, um, this is a Forge World model, and I feel like building the Forge World model would just be just as much of a pain in the ass. Probably. So, 
I'm considering buying the actual Forge World one, assuming that it's in production, and just doing a compare and contrast of both like the quality and the easy buildability of it. So, I mean, we'll see what what happens with that. I mean, if you're gonna take out a mortgage on the house, you might as well go ahead and buy some Forge World models. Yep. Um. So. That... So yeah, they're they're kind of like. They're my they're my practice ones because if I goof those ones up, they're you know it's no big deal. And if I decide I want more, I can get more pirate stuff from Ukraine since it's none of it's like stuff that would actually be used in a game. They're all like kind of like sideline minis and whatnot. Um, and then I think once I get some of my stuff cleared off the desk because I have some stuff that I finished and you know like paper coverings for the desk that need to get changed, I'm actually gonna break out the the Dark Elf set and get them started since uh, it sounds like Blood Bowl season may soon be upon us. Yes. Yay. Oh, and I also uh, I have returned to the Path of the Heretic and I started playing chess again. Yeah. Um, I beat Chat G- GPT in a chess match. Uh, when I captured a piece it told me that when peace when captures happen, the other pieces get sad and ask what happened to their friend. Um, and when I put his king in check, it told me that the check is the strongest piece in the game. That makes sense. And I captured the queen in another game, and it told me that uh, I had stolen the light and hope of its life. It gets kind of weird. Yeah. And then, in addition to chess, also trying to kind of ease back into uh, Go, but feeling extremely out of practice. I managed to beat ChatGPT in Go. Um, it it does not have a good sense of how Go is played. I mean, it's a mm-hmm. language model, not a game model, so that, that makes sense. It continually tried to play where pieces had already been played. Um, I mean, at least in chess, it seemed like somewhat decent it was like on my level i i would say it's a difference in how chess games are recorded in term compared to uh how go games are recorded Mm -hmm. Um, because given the way it generates text is essentially just a super advanced autocomplete um a go game record record is just a sequence of where the stones are played. Um, so if it's looking at multiple records, it sees that in response to playing X, you would play any of these options, and it doesn't note that a stone is already there because it doesn't have a theory of... It doesn't have a mental image of the board or a digital copy of where the board is. Whereas in chess, it's a sequence of moves, and it kind of... That sequence tracks those moves a little better. Um, in any case, chat GPT, not good at board games yet. No, but let's uh, teach it to play Dwarf Fortress and see how that goes. Maybe chat GPT and Dwarf Fortress will synthesize to create the singularity. I, I've, I think you'd need to put chat GPT into Dwarf Fortress, not playing. (laughs) Use chat GPT to generate the thoughts of the dwarves. I mean, honestly... That would be pretty cool. I'm sure someone is working on that already. But 
we're not here to talk about ChatGPT and Dwarf Fortress. We've done episodes on Dwarf Fortress, and we'll do an episode on uh, AI and role-playing games, I think, sometime later this year. What we are here to talk about is liches. So, what are liches? Where do they come from? Why are they evil? Why do they keep casting spells at me? How do you kill a lich? We will answer all these questions. So, the first thing is the word lich. Uh, it's derived from the word leech. Uh, L-Y-C-H. From Old English or Saxon, where it just meant corpse. Um, the notable in some English uh, and like medieval churches is a feature called a lich gate. Uh, which is a gateway with a covered roof found at the entrance to churchyards. Um, typically, this was... In the Middle Ages, the idea was you didn't really have a mortuary, right? So when you took a dead person down to get buried, you would kind of... You wouldn't want to keep them in the house, and you wouldn't want to keep them in the church. So you would have this covered gate outside of the churchyard... Where you could, like, set the body and then someone could keep watch with over it while they prepped to bury it the next day or two. And it was covered to keep the rain off because it's England and uh, you're going to get rained on otherwise. Um, the word is still in use and a lot of them still exist because they're historic features of churches now. Um, but the, so you got your lich gate and lich just means corpse. Uh, it's... Involved in a few other words, the you sometimes have a lich bell, a lich way, and um, a the lich owl, which is also known as the screech owl because the cry was supposed to portend death. Now, the notion of this sort of the liches, as they appear in Dungeons and Dragons, are um sort of based off of they use the name lich from corpse and they're sort of based on what folklorists would consider a um the uh folklore supernatural story um the this sort of giant without a heart mythology ah. complex that is it's a monster that can't be killed because the heart or soul is missing. Um, things like uh, Koshai the Deathless from Russian Slavic mythology, who removed his soul and hid it in a needle, in a duck egg, in a duck, on an island, in a lake, so that he can't be killed. That's um, quite a uh, quite a scheme. Yes, quite a scheme. Um, He's generally a anti-hero slash, like, patriarchal villain. Uh, Dorian Gray from, you know, the painting of Dorian Gray is kind of that similar thing where you've got the the painting that is holds his soul so that he doesn't age or get wounded or whatever. Never, never contemplated the idea of Dorian Gray as a lich. I mean, the painting would be his phylactery, essentially. Um, and a more modern one, Voldemort from Harry Potter. Boo. His uh, horcruxes are just 
lich phylacteries. Um, and, uh, so that's kind of the concept of where, what style of monster it is. Um, in H.P. Lovecraft's The Thing at the Doorway, uh, he refers to the, the monster as a lich, although in that case it is a corpse possessed by the ghost of a wizard rather than the corpse of a wizard. Um, and then there was a like 1969 short story, sword and sorcery story, in which the like main barbarian character finds an ancient wizard who's uh, is called a lich because he's you know dead and the lich basically gives the barbarian a quest and Gygax apparently was familiar with this story and used it as the basis for the lich in Dungeons and Dragons. Um, the story it's from Kothar, Barbarian Swordsman. Haven't heard of that one, but I might have to add it to the list because I've been on kind of a sword and sorcery kick lately. Yeah, um, I don't know if it's particularly good. I think it's one of those ones that just, uh, just exists. I mean, honestly, there's a lot of those. Yeah, it's not one that has had a long and storied history. It's just there. Um, liches showed up in Dungeons and Dragons in the 1975 Greyhawk supplement. Um, they were basically ancient wizards who through a um powerful ritual removed their souls from their bodies and became undead intelligent undead able to cast spells and not die and if their body is destroyed it will reform as long as their phylactery survives the phylactery being a box in which their soul is held uh it actually comes from a jewish term for a small box that contains like uh, sections of Torah writings that are used in prayer, but also has been used for like types of reliquaries and some other stuff during medieval times. Um, there's some questions as to whether it's anti-Semitic to use the term or not. I think it's such oh, an obscure boy. term that the answer is no. We have more important words to argue over. Yeah, I, and also, the, it, it's just using that, uh, uh, using a term that has religious connotations, while not really having any other connection in terms of. There's nothing Jewish about the liches in general. They're just evil wizards. Like. None of the other stuff matches up. It's just that they picked a term that also happens to have a religious connotation for what their soul box is. Mm -hmm. I'm, I don't think it's anti-Semitic. I think it's just a term. It's also not a term I was familiar with before Dungeons and Dragons. So, uh, yeah. I think the risks are low. I mean, I think if you had liches hold their souls in a dreidel, that might be, you know more problematic, but the phylactery more, seems okay to me. Maybe more problematic, but also the idea of a lich keeping their soul in, like, a game piece. That's pretty cool. It's entirely viable. The, the phylactery generally just has to be a small magical object. Um, the, the exact rules and, like, 
stipulations on what it's supposed to be vary from edition to edition. And from uh, usage of lich to usage of lich. So then, the lich. They, as editions were on, they added a bunch of varieties of lich. Uh, no longer just great wizards who embraced undeath to live forever. You got things like the Demi-Lich, uh, which first appeared in Tomb of Horrors. And then later the Bailnorn, which is a good-aligned lich. Um, That's typically weird. an elf that uh, uses undeath to become a sort of like immortal guardian of a kingdom. Huh. Um, I'm not sure what the how the general ruling on that works because typically liches need to consume souls to stay alive. Souls, so please. not sure how a Bailnoin gets away with that. Um, and then there have been a bunch of others. There's a Bale Lich, a uh, Dry Lich, uh, just a few varieties. Uh, the most interesting of which is, of course, the Draco Lich. Which is, yeah, uh, what if a dragon was also a lich? You get fun times. <laughs> you get. Yeah, you get immortal undead dragons that have their breath weapons and also necrotic damage. It is fun times. So in the 5th edition, liches are the remains of great wizards who have embraced undeath as a means of preserving themselves. Uh, they are oftentimes scheming, oftentimes insane, and almost always... Holding vast uh, magical power, um, they're depicted as kind of being like gaunt zombies wearing ancient wizard robes, um, with glowing eyes, with arcane powers. Um, the general process for becoming a lich is be a high level wizard, build yourself a phylactery, which is a um, you know like we talked about a container for your soul. Learn an ancient forbidden ritual, usually from demons or other liches or powers beyond mortals. Um, and then drink a lich brew, which is a potion that kills you and causes your soul to get sucked into, into the phylactery and then brings your body back as a undead. Um... So, if a lich offers you a brew, do not drink it. Um, when that's that's the basic gist of lich of a lich, uh, they do have to periodically feed on souls, basically to keep the magic that is holding them to this plane of existence going. Um, this they have to do it every couple of years typically, um, and if they fail, they can become a demi-lich, which we'll talk about in a few bit minutes. Um, one of the most dangerous things about a lich is the phylactery, because their physical body is just uh, an avatar, essentially. If their physical body is destroyed, their soul returns to their phylactery and generates a new physical body. Uh, meaning to actually properly kill a lich, you not only have to destroy its physical body, you have to track down and destroy its phylactery as well. Oh boy. Um, liches, being high-level wizards, have a challenge rating in 5th edition of 21. 
That's a lot. And uh, spells up to ninth level. So they get stuff like Power Word Kill and Finger of Death. <laughs> um, they're not fun to fight. They're terrifyingly powerful to fight. Um, and, you know, they can... They typically are in their lair, which has all sorts of magical defenses and summonable minions and traps and such that they use to, you know, protect themselves. Because when you're an evil, immortal, paranoid, insane wizard, you uh, take people busting into your home and trying to kill you incredibly seriously. I said get out. I put these traps up for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Oftentimes, they, they change their name. Um, but, you know, like I said, if they don't feed their phylactery souls, the magic can kind of run down a bit, and they can become a demi-lich. Uh, if, essentially, a demi-lich body turns to dust until only the skull remains... And the skull contains just a fragment of their life force, just a little chunk of evil, insane wizard skull. Um, just a little bit of life force as a treat. As a treat, yes. Uh, it's definitely not what a lich wants to happen to them, for the most part. Uh, turning into a demi-lich is kind of a almost worst-case scenario. Perhaps their <laughs> phylactery is damaged, perhaps they were trapped somewhere and unable to feed on souls or whatever. Um... As long as the phylactery is intact, the Demi-Lich can't be destroyed, and a Demi-Lich is, you know, still a powerful monster, uh, challenge rating 18. It doesn't get spells as much as it as a normal Lich does, but, you know, it can do stuff like energy drains, or um, cursing people, or just draining life force from people. It's, uh, it's pretty terrifyingly powerful in general. And, of course, there's the fact that for certain liches, becoming a demi-lich is the goal. Uh, this is mostly for one that we'll talk about a little later on when we talk about uh, famous liches. But the idea there is that you can become a demi-lich and sort of leave that behind on your original plane of existence as your, um, like, anchor and then explore the cosmos as a disembodied spirit. Cool. I can dig that. Yeah. Um, the Demi-liches that do this are, I mean, they're equally evil and insane, but they're also more powerful, and um, they get some additional abilities to just kind of yank the soul out of people who they fight to feed themselves. Um because they've been busy and off in the plains doing their own shit. And then, of course, the Draco Lich. Uh, particularly ancient and evil dragons who don't like the thought of themselves dying can uh, turn themselves into liches. Oftentimes they already have magic powers, so it's not that big of a deal. Uh, typically the way they have to do it is, well, their phylacteries are almost always a giant gem. And they need a group of mages or cultists in order to cast the ritual because basically they build the phylactery, they drink the potion, and then the mages have to manhandle the dragon's soul into the phylactery through a complicated magical ritual. That's why um, they should just build a machine to do it for him. I Artificer mean, dragon. 
Artificer Demi-Lich Dragon is definitely a concept I can get behind. Um, Draco Liches are, again, ludicrously powerful because... Well, they're typically... They can be ludicrously powerful. Um, because they get all the dragon abilities. Plus, they have additional, um immunity to damage and conditions and magical resistance and stuff like that. Um, I will say the stat block for Draco Lich in the core book is a little, a little, eh. Um, I would add some stuff about them being able to do necrotic damage that the book just doesn't give them. Um, but that's me. And I would also probably add some spellcasting abilities. I want the Draco Lich to be a little smarter and less just, it's a dragon, but undead, which is what they, um, are currently what they already, already do. Yeah. Which is what the current stat block is essentially. Um, and those, those are the, the core ones they, that are in the current fifth edition monster manual. Uh, older editions had more variety of liches. I'm okay with not doing that because really you can just flavor them a little. Uh, for example, what if your lich wasn't as all focused on necromancy? What if you had a lich who had been an invoker before they turned to uh, undeath? Fireball lich. Yeah, well, I mean, liches already get fireball, but what if your lich just is all about that explosion and elemental damage shenanigans? Or a lich that's all about transmutation and, like, changing your shit around. Cool, 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 cool. I mean, this I is like something it. I would think about, is having liches that, as wizards in their prime, had different magical focuses than just straight necromancy. Um, or, like you said, maybe one that took a dip into Artificer and so likes to build some mechanical things out of bones. Um, That'd be, that's pretty sweet. I can dig it. Yeah, that'd be pretty metal, right? Combining the best of artifice and necromancy to make a... Skelicopter. <laughs> a helicopter made out of skeletons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. He doesn't cast fly, he just puts on his skeleton jetpack. Yeah. Um, and then curses the G.I. Joes as he flies away. <laughs> or, uh... He-Man. He-Man probably would be more appropriate. I'll get you next time, He-Man. Um, I'm going to just go out on a limb here and say Skeletor is probably a white, not a lich. I don't he think I enough know, know enough about He-Man to actually make a judgment, so I'll go with whatever you say he is. I mean, he, dude is buff as hell. <laughs> Liches are like zombie gaunt. Skeletor is like, I'm going to punch somebody in the face. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and say he's like a white, maybe. Good enough. Possibly a revenant, although, again, not unclear. Um, yeah, so liches, powerful undead spellcasters. Thus, this brings us to the question of, um... Well, actually, I was mentioning there are a variety of them in older editions. And in fact, in second edition, there was Van Richten's Guide to the Lich published in 1993 it was a 96-page booklet about liches um so wow. highly specific detailed information on liches and if you want to add that to a game 
I think it's probably a pretty solid uh, book for that sort of information. Um, it is the stat blocks and stuff are all going to be two e, but all the lore is pretty much applicable. It's focused on Ravenloft, but Ravenloft is still a setting, so uh, go ahead. Get some. Yeah. So let's talk. Liches have been around for a long time. Let's talk about some famous ones. The I don't first... think I know very many famous ones. Well, I mean, the first and one that I said we would talk about is Aserak. Uh, from the world of Greyhawk, Aserak is the Demi-Lich who built the Tomb of Horrors. Sweet. Um, he is specifically the one who decided to allow himself to become a Demi-Lich so that he could send his consciousness out to explore the plains. Um, he is also a massive troll. Um, like the entirety of the Tomb of Horrors is him building an evil dungeon shrine so that it can trap the souls of adventurers who stop by so that he can feed himself. And, um, it's a good, that's a good racket. Yes. Uh, and then in more modern stuff, the, um, what a tomb of annihilation. Uh, which is a 5th edition, like, full adventure module, is about finding some shit that he did. Fun. Um, and trying to undo it and fight him. Uh, I didn't know that that was... I didn't know that one was related. I just knew that it had Tomb in it. Oh, yeah, no, it's about Aserak. In fact, he is on the cover of uh, one of the books. Uh, um, I don't think it's the Player's Handbook. Is he on the cover of the Dungeon Master's Guide, I think? I I have it on the shelf, but I'm not going to get up and go grab it. And in fact, the uh, Monster Manual has a little statement from him on the Demulich page that is, I, Aserak the Eternal, beckon you to your doom. Come, (laughs) foolish ones, plunder my treasures if you dare. Others have tried. All have failed. From your skin, tapestries shall be woven and your bones will carpet my tomb. Only I am beyond death's reach. Only I know the secret to true immortality. Cool. Basically, Aserak is a troll demi-lich who uh, wants the players to show up and try and pilfer his tomb so that he can suck out their souls. (laughs) Um, When we get into the Tomb of Horrors, we'll talk a little bit more about giving him personality and stuff like that. Uh, one theory I have liked is the notion of basically giving him an intercom (laughs) or pre-made recordings for him to just taunt the players as they move through the dungeon. Um, I like that idea. I, I, I suspect you could use it as like a portal, portal two kind of thing where like, as you move through the dungeon, like a pre-recorded message plays and you can do a cave Johnson impression. Uh, Aseric the Demi-Lich here. Bet you didn't know that this trap uh, killed 95% of the people we tested in it. Hopefully it'll kill you too. I, just, I approve. Just something like that. Um, and I think that would certainly be a way to uh, provide a little more flavor to the tomb than is currently in it. Um, he is one of the best known demi-liches and one of the best known liches but not the only one 
Because there is another more powerful lich. Uh, Vecna. I got nothing. Oh, yeah. I didn't know he was a lich. I, For some reason, I assumed he was just a monster. Oh, no, no, no. Vecna is a, was a powerful wizard who became a lich. Um, eventually was killed by his, like, lieutenant and bodyguard, Cast the Bloody Handed, who uh, plucked out his eye and cut off one of his hands, creating the hand and eye of Vecna. Some incredibly powerful magic items. Uh, but being killed by his lieutenant didn't stop him, and Vecna became a demigod. Fun. Um, Even better. Yeah. In the second edition, uh, 1990, they create, they released an adventure called Vecna Lives, uh, <laughs> which is essentially where he became the demigod. Um, and, you know, the players fought him. And then in 2000s, the final adventure for second edition, Die Vecna Die, um, where he assaulted Planescape. Basically, Fun. it tied Greyhawk, Ravenloft, and Planescape all together, and Vecna leads an assault on Sigil to try and become a full god and ruler of the multiverse. Uh, it essentially it set up. It was used to set up the transition between second and third edition. Um, it huh. was the like grand finale of second edition, and then you're into three and three point five. Um, Vecna remained as a demigod in 3.5 and the further editions. He is, you know, he's a lich, a powerful undead wizard. In his case, so powerful, he became a god. Um, his title is often the Arch Lich, or the Undying King. Um, the Lord of the Rotted Tower. You know, he's just a ancient evil demigod lich dude. Um, also, if someone tries to tell you that they found the head of Vecna... Don't do it. Don't cut off your own head to put it on. Yeah, that that's not, not gonna work. Um, it, 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 it's an old, old joke that one that was, you know, shared between second edition groups where one tricked the other into trying to do it. And um, I believe three people, three characters died before it was revealed that <laughs> it was just as, uh, just a, a, uh, normal head. I mean, that's kind of funny. Um, and then it's kind of a classic D&D joke to talk about the uh, head of Vecna. Um, and then, of course, those aren't the only ones. The Githyanki have uh, are ruled by the Lich Queen Valkith the... I don't know. It, number of Latin numerals afterwards. But the Githyanki are ruled by a Lich Queen. Um, although that's not, I think, fully brought up outside of, like, second edition, uh, Spelljammer, um, is where the details for that are. Um, remember, of course, that the Githyanki also ride red dragons and stuff like that, so they're not exactly the nicest people. And, um hang out in the astral plane a lot so they, they tend to be lawful evil uh, and of course we have the uh, classic Lady Ilmaro also known as Erandis Vol or Lady Vol who is the Eberron 
Lich of Choice. She is a half-dragon lich. Even better. Um, Yeah, she's a real beast and tough to fight. Because um, it's a half-elf, half-green dragon, all undead, uh, <laughs> ancient and powerful and plotting. She's several thousand years old and lives in a fortress in the north. Um, where she plots her revenge against the elves and the dragons. And revenge. any adventurer foolish enough to get in her way. Um, she's also sometimes maybe a demigod, because there are people who kind of worship her. Um, yeah. And there are a bunch of others. Um, there's, there's some that have shown up in a lot of different uh, related media. Um, liches show up in Baldur's Gate. Baldur's Gate... Uh, at least they show up in Baldur's Gate 2. They show up in Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance 2. Um, they show up in Neverwinter Nights. They show up in... Uh, they show up all over the place. Um, it's just liches all the way down. Yeah, it's liches all the way down. They are one of the top ten like iconic D&D monsters... Because, you know, ancient undead spellcasters. They are the pinnacle of necromancy. Um, is a lich. And the concept of having a powerful lich, you know, performing evil necromantic experiments is uh, useful if you're trying to um, throw in weird and twisted necromancy monsters to keep your players on, your to on their toes. Um, the Red Wizards of Fae in Faerun have a number of liches uh, that they work with or that count among their number. Um, it's possible, although unclear, that the villain in the uh, Dungeons & Dragons movie might be a lich. The 2023 Dungeons & Dragons movie that's not out yet. Um, liches appear in the... Uh, Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Uh, they ref don't use phylactery. They use the term soul cage to, you know, refer to it. Um, liches appear in plenty of other media as well. Uh, Adventure Time has a lich as one of the villains. Um, the cartoon Adventure Time. Uh, liches show up in a lot of JRPGs where they're oftentimes not as powerful as uh, they are in D&D, they're not, like, the pinnacle of ancient undead wizard modules. They're just, like, spell-casting undead. Um, but that has more to do with the fact that they're just used normally as a, like, mid-boss and not the final boss of a campaign. Um... And, you know, because uh, we brought it up last time we did a monster, Lancer has a mech called the Lich. Yeah, boy. Um, that uh, messes with time, allowing it to be semi-immortal, and that it can, like, go back in time if it gets killed. Yeah, that sounds about right. Briefly. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's creepy, and, and it's depicted as being very creepy. Like the, bro, your mech is creeping me out. Yes, like the 
splat text or the flavor text in it is like creepy time dilation effect. Um, it has a weapon called an unraveler. Uh, it sound that sounds unpleasant. Um, yes. Yeah, if it's been killed, it may return to the location of its soul vessel as a reaction at the end of any turn. Um, if its pilot died in the same scene, they also return to life. Woo! Uh, but basically they have to have the reaction available to do it. So, yeah, it's a weird one. But then again, Lancer has some weird paracasual mechs. And Lancer is a topic we're going to cover in greater detail. Because I very much yes, like son. the game. And once I run it, I will feel confident enough to do an entire podcast about it. Yeah. Um. Liches. Uh, Ed, you have any experience with liches? I don't think so. Uh, I don't think we've come across one in a game that I've been a part of. Uh, I don't think I've come across any in Warhammer that I've played against. Well, I mean, I guess we could uh, talk about liches in um, tabletop war games. I guess technically my uh, my character for Frostgrave is a lich. Yeah, I was going to say, Frostgrave, uh, I think there is a Lich King module for Frostgrave now. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was the first adventurer module. Uh, I think it's called Rise of the Lich King. I can't can't quite remember. Thaw of the Lich Lord. That was close. Um, is a Frostgrave campaign where you you know, delve into the city as an ancient undead lich awakens. Pretty pretty standard stuff. Um, yeah, I wanted to do that one and have, like, my lich be a competing lich and be like, no, bro, this is my city. You get out. Yeah. This town ain't big enough for the two of us liches. No, it's not. Um, and then you could argue fairly reasonably that the... Uh, the Tomb Kings from Warhammer Fantasy are basically liches. Yeah, Nagash, he's a lich. That's yeah. where he that's where he started. Yeah, the ancient undead sorcerer kings that ruled an Egyptian style concept. Um honestly, also I think the uh the original mummy, the Brandon Fraser mummy movie, is basically a lich and not a mummy. It's been so long since I've seen that movie, I couldn't tell you because you can't kill him without i mean it's the giant without a heart myth again it's uh, his soul is kept in a jar you know and not in his body so you can't kill the body until you kill the soul um but because he's also a mage and can cast spells and stuff that would make him a lich um that that's kind of the core concept is that a lich is an undead that has had its soul placed somewhere outside their body and can cast spells. Um, you could argue, in fact, that in sci-fi terms, the Necrons are basically liches. The Necron Tomb Kings. Uh, mm, whatever they're called. The Necron Lords. Maybe. Yeah, I guess like the Lords would be liches, whereas the, the rank-and-file Terminators are just kind of like robot zombies, but kind of not. Their lore has changed a lot. Yeah, their lore changes a lot. Um, 
the Necron Lords, I would say, are sort of a sci-fi lich equivalent. Yeah. Um, as they are... I, I believe under the current lore, they were biological, and then they stored their consciousness into... Um, yeah, the Necron, Necron tier gave up their organic bodies through biotransference and put them into the living metal mechanical bodies. Um, yeah, and now they're they're like trying to, un some of them at least are trying to like undo that and become flesh again. Oh, they're trying to do different things, um, depending on which one it is. The Necron overlords, the, the, the character ones, have their personalities and, um, do various silly things. Yeah, because um, the, those are new, and the previous editions, they were just, like, basically ancient Terminators, and they really didn't have personalities, even though the Necron lords, they were just kind of puppets of the Satan gods, and in the newer editions, the actual Necron lords themselves have, like, personalities that they held over from from the meat space. Yes, I think the most interesting one is Trazin, also sometimes known as Trazin the Infinite, um, as he is a preserver of histories, artifacts, and events, and often liberates things that he wants from other alien races or Necrons in order to preserve them in his galleries. Oh, he sounds like he should uh, team up with the Blood Ravens then. Um, he, in fact, writes notes and letters to Inquisitors and stuff saying, hey, uh, I would like that object that you have. Give it to me or I'll burn your world. Heresy. Like, he will actually talk to people and offer, like, his condolences about having to do this. He, he's interesting... He's an interesting character because, like, he is a character and he would uh, theoretically, like, ally with people in order to get the things that he wants. Um, he has... He, he, like, builds vast galleries to showcase his historical collections of, like, you know... An entire section of, like, the dead over a single historical event. So, you know, he is, um, he's a weirdo, which is great, because, um, that, we stand that's pretty weirdos. Um, yeah. So, I, I, I enjoy him. I, he's, he's a fan favorite, I believe, um, because... He's one that has a personality, and people like to talk about him. Um, it's amazing what happens when you give your characters personality. Yeah, when you give your villains a little bit of personality. I mean, villain, I guess. Um, but their Necrons are... Necron overlords are basically liches. Space In, lich. They're basically sci-fi liches. Um, I'm trying to think of other sci-fi equivalents other liches or lich adjacent things um the 
light novel anime manga series overlord the protagonist is essentially a lich um it, it that's i'm not going to go into detail on that one the protagonist is a, a a gamer in an mmo and then it you get stuck in it and it turns out to be a fantasy world and not a game anymore blah 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 mm-hmm. This time, the game is real. Well, yeah, and he conquers the world, and he's a lich. Um, Or some sort of undead. He he looks like a lich. The lich... Oh, uh, World of Warcraft. Oh, yeah. Has the... The Lich King. Yeah, the Lich King. Honestly, I've thought so little about Warcraft that... I completely forgot about that. Yeah, World of Warcraft has Wrath of the Lich King, which was one of the the second expansion for the MMO in 2008. Uh, I believe it was one of the more popular ones. It added the Lich King Arthas and his undead minions and uh, introduced the Death Knight, which I seem to recall being a very um, popular thing to get high enough level to become a... create a death knight character people really enjoyed it Um, honestly i could never tell like what parts of warcraft people enjoyed because anytime anything changed all people ever did was bitch about it so i always just assumed that every every expansion was bad because people were like oh i hate this i'm like okay cool i'll i'll say based on the critical thing uh it had a 91 out of 100 on metacritic and is often recognized as world of warcraft's best expansion by critics and fans good times um, was released basically the game reached its peak player base during the era of the expansion yeah unfortunately so, i missed i missed out on that uh i didn't start playing until like 2011 yeah that was as it was declining after the peak of it then um so yeah world of warcraft has liches um not sure what exactly the lich does in that because again i never played world of warcraft it's not my not my cup of tea he uh um, he controls the undead up in the in the arctic i know i know that much but i mean i just i don't like world of warcraft the pauldrons are too big you can't turn your head and see anything to the side <laughs> it's too many pauldrons like narrow focus in the front and it's true for every species and every set of armor it's all pauldrons yep um can Blizzard make pauldrons so big that even they can't fit it on a character model? Blizzard, they will never they will never stop. They will just continue trying. Well, I think I have to say do or do not. There is no try at pauldrons. <laughs> um, but that's that's liches. Uh, the gist of a lich is that it's an undead wizard who casts spells and stores its soul outside of its body. Um, You can do all sorts of things with that. My big thing would be to try having liches that are focused on other types of magic. Um, I like that idea. Just there's a lot you could do with a lich that doesn't just use necromancy. And that kind of movement could really mess up players who are expecting a lich that just does necromancy. What do, what do you mean this is um, uh, a lich illusionist? Yeah. 
that could be very terrifying. If you're like, oh, it's a, we are preparing to fight the Lich. We'll all get our defenses against uh, necromantic magic. And then you walk in and it's a like hedge maze um, full of you know, things that are going to mislead and trick you and like mind control you. I was trying to think of what I could possibly make fun of as like the lamest school of magic and illusionist was all I came up with. I, I would say divination. Oh, what's the lich going to do? Lich. Scry on us? I see you. I know what you're doing. I'm not going to do anything about it, though. I mean, uh, go scry about it. <laughs> and that's, that's a good one. And that's liches. So, we have a segment on this podcast called Board Game Corner, where we review a board game. Yay. And today, we're talking about an old classic. Risk. Very old. Woo! Originally published in 1957, and uh, in French, actually, and then converted into English in 1959 by Parker Brothers. Boo. I'm just booing them because they make Monopoly. Um, yeah, that's a good reason not to boo anybody. Yes. Uh, Risk is a classic um, diplomacy conflict conquest game. Um... Its standard version is played on a board with a political map of the world broken up into 42 territories. Uh, not all of them making sense based on existing political territories, but uh, fine, whatever. It is grouped... It's just inbred, it's inbred nobles beefing over turf. Yes, That's all and it is. you get to play as the inbred nobles. Woo! Um, the territories are grouped into six continents. Uh, players control armies of pieces. You move them around. You try and capture territories. The results are determined by dice rolls. You can do alliances. The, the goal is to conquer the world and eliminate all other players. Boo, imperialism. Um, yeah, Risk is the game of imperialism. Each territory, there are cards that you can acquire. Um, <coughs> these cards can be used to buy more troops. Um, there's a... You know, the map of the world is, uh, like I said, a bit funky. But if you control an entire continent, as defined by the map, you then get more armies. So it's it can be worth it to try and hold an entire area. Um, some are easier to hold than others. For example, Australia is a common pick because despite it being relatively small and not giving you a lot of armies, there's only one way in. <laughs> so if you can like blockade that you can build up your strength in australia for a long time um fighting my time yes uh turtling in australia is a classic tactic for risk um yeah the the game is pretty straightforward in terms of gameplay it has some issues with being very very long because you can reach stalemate positions pretty easily, and then it's hard to break those, as you just use all the pieces in the game to form giant World War One esque uh, trench lines, essentially. <laughs> um, the strategies vary. Alliances can be important if you have a lot of players. Uh, defending is generally slightly better, because they win ties, but attackers get to attack with more models. Um, so, yeah. Um, 
Risk also has had a lot of variants. Yeah, like it has. 40, 50 variants, including multiple Star Wars versions, Rick and Morty version, Vikings, 40... Morty, we gotta, we gotta take over the world, Morty. Elder Scrolls, Assassin's Creed, Transformers, Risk Jr., Risk Godstorm, uh, Risk Lord of the Rings Trilogy Edition, uh, Risk 2210 AD, um, I'm familiar with that one. That one includes the moon. Moon! Uh, Ocean territories and other stuff, and also you can nuke things. Cool. Um, that, that one might be worth talking about on its own. Um, in its own little corner, because that one's pretty solid. Uh, the best mechanic out of any of these that I'm familiar with is the Lord of the Rings edition, because the Lord of the Rings edition adds a timer to the game as the Fellowship drags the ring to Mordor and throws it into the fires of Mount Doom to destroy the blah blah blah. Once that happens, the game ends. And yes, whoever has we, the most territory wins. We, we love game timers. Yes, we have mentioned that in episodes about good game mechanics is a timer is essential. And this provides you with an in-game timer that everyone can see and helps uh, prevent the games from lasting forever like they can in normal games of Risk. Risk. If you haven't played it, you've been living under a rock since the 1960s. Yeah. Probably. Uh, and I hope the rent under that rock has not gone up since the 1960s. Otherwise, oh boy. Uh, you can guarantee it has. Oh yeah. So that's our podcast. As always, uh, support your local game store. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, whatever social media you prefer. Like, subscribe, write a note. Uh, tell us we're doing terrible. Tell us you enjoyed the podcast. Uh, we got one from somebody. Thanks. That. Uh, that means a lot. Oh yeah, that is that's right. I forgot we got our uh, our first positive comment. I think potentially like any comment from gentleman named uh, Chris Walls at a uh, Chris Walls ninety three on Instagram. So go follow him. Uh, yeah, and as always, uh, do the things Ed's about to tell you to do. Oh, uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Animadness. That's where I post all my shenanigans. Uh, hear me complain about my paintbrushes. Uh, join your union. Support your LGBTQIA plus charities, your reproductive justice funds. Uh, go to bed on time. Drink some water. That's about all I got. Is this a do as I say and not as I do thing from you? Yes. Yeah, I thought so. Go Knowles. Go Knowles. <laughs>